So we just heard the gospel from Luke. Um, it's the Palm Sunday story. Those of us who grew up in churches are probably somewhat familiar with it. Um, but I think that there's surprising, some surprising things about it. And as I was reflecting on the sermon or the gospel story this week, um, I started thinking about my own life, which is not uncommon for me. I kind of have a, a tendency to do that. Um, and something that came up for me is that I have this deep-seated and recurring fear of being abandoned by the people I love. <laughs> I fear that I might do something that will offend them or shock them or disappoint them so much that they will just leave me and I will be left alone and unloved. Now, that might sound really sad to some of you, and it is. Um, and that might sound really dramatic or ridiculous to some of you, and it is. Um, it's both sad and kind of ridiculous. Because the thing is, I haven't ever actually been abandoned. Um, in fact, I've had quite the opposite experience. This is not working, um, but it's fine. I have, a, I have parents who have assured me that they love me. I have always had friends who um, have been quite reliable, um, except for this one year in seventh grade where I was quite emo and kind of a loner and didn't really talk to people. Uh, but that aside, I've been okay. I've, been, I've never been abandoned. Yet this fear that I will be rejected by the people I love, my friends, my family, the people who I respect, teachers, bosses, mentors, it's real. It remains with me and it affects how I live. Sometimes I don't say what I want to say in a certain situation because I'm afraid that the, how the other person will act. Sometimes I go this opposite route and I say too much. I just try and tell them what they want to hear. Other times I become a quivering mass of availability and I let myself be used to other people's ends in this desperate hope that I might get their approval. All this to say, even though I've never been abandoned for real, this fear affects how I act. And it's a little embarrassing to me that I can't really determine a source for this fear. I mean, there was this time in third grade where my best friend um, randomly told me at lunch that she didn't like me and she never had. Um, and I should be over that by now, right? Like that was 20 years ago almost. Um, or I'm still pretty upset about when my high school boyfriend broke up with me. Uh, but that was just a silly high school relationship, right? Like, it's a long time gone, I should be over it. So, the thing about this is that I'm not sure that trying to find the reason for our fears is really that important. I'm not sure there might, that there even really is a reason for these deep, deep fears that live within us that we could ever find. I think probably most of us have some deep fears that we don't really know why they're there. Whether it's being abandoned or being betrayed, being a failure, being out of control, whatever it is, at the end of the day, no matter why we have them, we have to live with these fears, and it's hard. So what does this personal psychological therapy session, in a sense, that I'm having in front of you, have to do with the Bible story? Um, what does it have to do with the story that Dorian just read for Palm Sunday? I actually think it has a lot to do with the story. But first, we have to look at how people typically talk about this story. Typically, people make it this triumphant story. They talk about how Jesus just came in, all heroic, all bold. This huge crowd forms around him. Everyone's so excited. They lay down their cloaks. They wave these branches at him. And it's just this triumphant scene. There's that line um, that you might remember that says uh, that everybody's mad at Jesus because his um, disciples are causing such a scene. And Jesus replies, 
Even if my followers were silent, the rocks would shout out. Damn, that's kind of sassy, Jesus. Uh, but it's like the ultimate triumph scene, right? Like, no matter what, people are gonna rejoice. That's all well and good. Um, but we have to think about why these people, or even these rocks, were so excited. Like, what was going on? Um, so we have to go back to the historical situation and think about who these people were. Um, most likely, they were Jews. They were people who practiced the Jewish tradition. And they were celebrating what they thought was going to be the impending moment of salvation for their community, the coming of the Messiah. This Messiah symbol at that time um, had primarily political connotations. It wasn't so much about like what was going to happen in heaven or like the salvation of your soul. It was about restoring um, the area, where, well, Jerusalem and the surrounding area to Jewish rule because at the time they were under Roman rule. Uh, so these people were expecting a political savior. They were expecting some strong man to come in and take over the city and, you know, get them back their, their stuff. I get that. I really get that. Being saved in this way would be cause for celebration. I would really love for some powerful, thoughtful, kind, moral leader to come to America and get in this political race because it's <laughs> causing me, like, extreme anxiety. Like, I want to be saved from this political situation. Um, but what's disconcerting is that the version of the story that we heard in today's gospel indicates that Jesus was not that kind of savior, and that's not what he was there to do. Because the story tells us that as soon as Jesus enters this city, he doesn't take it over, he doesn't fix anything, he just starts to weep. This like person that everybody thought was going to come in and fix everything just starts breaking down, and he starts crying, and he's over there doing that. Um, and as Jesus is there alone weeping, he kind of goes into this soliloquy that is a little bit upsetting. Um, he says, I'm going to read it again. If you, even you, Jerusalem, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. And he can't even finish his thought. He interrupts himself. So there's a pause. And he says, but now these things that would have made for peace, past tense, are hidden from your eyes. They're gone. They missed their opportunity. Jesus is weeping because it's too late. Jerusalem did not recognize that it had the capacity for peace all along, and they missed it. Jesus is weeping for this missed opportunity. I think that there's a way that those of us in this room are Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a city, we're people, but I want to say that we're Jerusalem. We keep on missing our chances to make peace in our lives. We keep on missing the places where God is already with us. We live our lives I will suspect, um, often so worried about things that maybe we don't speak about or worried about things that happened in the past. Old anger toward our mom or toward our dad, being immobilized by how we felt as, this, as the youngest child in our family left out, um, upset about a fight that we had with our significant other months ago. And in this process of being stuck on these things in the past, we're missing out on what's right before us, the opportunity to make peace in our lives in this moment. A lot like Jerusalem, we keep missing out. And so if Jesus was not there to save them in this political kind of way, and if he's there weeping over these missed opportunities, um, it gives us pause about what, Jesus, what kind of savior Jesus actually is and what it was that Jesus was seeking to redeem. It actually causes me, and I think all of us, um, to need to reconsider what this whole Messiah thing means. 
A lot of Christians and non-Christians alike believe that Christ is the one who saves us. And we humans are just kind of passively hanging out while that goes on. Um, we're there waiting for someone to save us. And I don't think that that's what this story tells us. Uh, it gives us a different image of who Jesus is and what that salvation is going to look like. Jesus does not save by fixing things, but by, by, by being the one who sees everything that's going wrong, all the missed opportunities, all the pain and the sorrow. And he saves by caring so much that he weeps. Jesus saves by noticing and by caring. Now, that kind of savior doesn't really sound as exciting or as comforting in some ways as this guy who just comes in and saves things. But I think it's more realistic. I mean, look at our world. It's really, really messed up. And there hasn't been anyone who's come in and triumphantly fixed it yet. So here we are. I think we may need a more realistic savior. So what are we going to do with this? I don't think it's only in the Bible that we see this image of saving ourselves as something that has merit. So I'm going to try and qualify that and talk about it for a bit. Um, and one person who I think got this really well, um, made this point really well, is this Austrian bohemian poet named Rilke. Um, and Rilke wrote a lot of poems that weren't explicitly religious or explicitly theological, but they are pretty clearly spiritual. Um, and in this early part of his career, Rilke began exchanging letters with some young army cadet whose name was Franz Kappus, who himself was an aspiring poet. And so Kappus wrote Rilke because Kappus wanted advice on writing. And Rilke, probably really annoyingly at first to this young Kappus, refused to give Kappus any kind of feedback. Instead, Rilke encouraged Kappus to kind of listen to himself, specifically what the words that Rilke wrote to Kappus were, there's only one way to be a great poet, go into yourself. Go into yourself. That sounds kind of self-helpy, right? Like, go into yourself, like reflect on your life, therapeutic, something like that. Um, but I think there's real wisdom to it. I really do. And I think that what it speaks to is that this thing that maybe we often feel tempted to do, to look outside of ourselves for something that's going to make it better, a relationship, a political leader, a promotion, whatever, that thing that you think is going to save you outside of yourself probably isn't going to do it. Even if you get that thing, there's going to be something after that you still need, that you're still searching for. And I think that what the Christian wisdom and the Rilke wisdom, both of these things are actually saying the same thing to some extent, which is that we have to look inside of ourselves to get through these things that we think we need. Like that the solution lies somewhere within to some extent. And actually, this is a common idea in the history of Christian theology and the, Christ the history of Christian mysticism in particular. Uh, a way that Christians have talked about this idea over the centuries is this idea of us Christians becoming Christ-like or even more actively taking Christ into ourselves. And so one thing that this can mean for us today is that we have this part to play in our salvation. Now, of course, this can be taken too far. Um, we should not become these rogue spiritual self-saviors who just refuse everybody else's help and like tries and goes and sits in the woods and just does everything for ourselves. I mean, that, that could be nice, but I don't think that's the idea. Um, because actually crucial to this idea of Christ within is that Christ still remains somewhat of an other within you um, in the sense that you're not alone, even if it's what you're listening to is in yourself. Um, and I think that that speaks to something that's really important for us to keep in mind, 
which is that when we're struggling with these hard things, we have to do something for ourselves, but we also need outside help as well. It's this kind of interplay. Um, and I want to emphasize that sometimes we really do need perhaps medication or therapy or a loan or just the shoulder of a friend to cry on. But what this really, what the story really encourages us to do is to look into ourselves first to kind of diagnose what we really need and to identify those things that are recurring in our lives that are holding us captive. This will probably be unpleasant. In fact, I'm almost sure it will be. Because um, for me, it's recognizing this fear of abandonment. It's a rec recognizing the ways that that's affecting how I'm living. For others, it might be this, a fear of failure or a fear of loneliness or a fear of stagnation, maybe a tightly held anger at God or at someone in your life or at yourself. Um, but whatever it is, I think what the story is telling us is that we don't want to be like Jerusalem and miss out on seeing the ways forward that are already available to us because we're so blinded by these things that are bothering us. I think what this story is telling us is that we need to be more like Jesus. We need to pause on those things and weep a little bit, feel sad or angry or scared, but grieve them. And that that is crucial to how we'll overcome them. Back to Rilke, he also recognized that these inward turns are usually pretty difficult. In another letter that he wrote to Capus, they became like pen pals or something over the course of a few years. Um, and so Capus is going on this, pro this process of inward journeying, um, if you'll let me use that phrase. Uh, and Capus wrote, you must not be frightened if a sadness rises up before you larger than any you have ever seen. When the sadness arises, you must think that something is happening and that life is not forgotten you, that it holds you in its hand. I hear echoes of the gospel truth in those words. The truth that even in the midst of our deepest sadness, there's still something redemptive and we're still okay. And the words of Lindrick Lamar, Kendrick Lamar, uh, I'm, can I curse up here? I'm, I fucked up, you're fucked up. As long as God's got us, we're gonna be all right, right? Um, so the thing is, God or the ultimate or life itself, as long as that is with us, which the gospel truth, if you will, says that God is, things will be okay even in these moments of deepest sadness. And so I want to actually end, I've been talking a lot by sadness, um, but I want to end by saying that I think that this looking into ourselves um, often might begin with sadness, and I actually think that's a good thing, or anger, or sphere, um, but that it shouldn't and always be like sad and mopey, we shouldn't just like stop there uh, forever, like become stagnant and like energyless in that place. Because I think it should also be kind of this interplay between that sadness and like a joyous celebration of the good things. Um, so I'll try and tell you what I've discovered in this process because I've been trying to do it for myself recently. It's kind of worked, I think. Um, so I've been looking through some of my old journals. I was really into journaling in uh, college, so not that long ago, but nonetheless. Uh, and I was looking through them and I noticed that I would always have this kind of like dramatic flair about things in my life, but it would be like ironic and earnest at the same time. And this terrible, like what I thought was a terrible thing would happen, but through like this humor that I apparently have had in my life, somehow I was able to overcome it. And it's kind of like, I found myself a little inspirational. And I think that that's something we should, I, I think that's something we shouldn't be afraid of. Like whatever it is in yourself that you discover in yourself that uh, helps you through things, like celebrate that. I think that that's good. And that's part of this process of the inward look that we're called to as Christians. Um, or people, or I don't know, human beings. Uh, but so something that, and I also think that this should lead to particular kinds of actions. 
So one thing that I have committed myself to do, it sounds really simple, uh, but it was hard for me, is uh, just saying out loud things that I used to would have felt uh, were too like vulnerable or ridiculous or embarrassing to say out loud. I've just forced myself to do that. And uh, I found, kind of to my surprise, that people actually seem to like these things. <laughs> um, so that's encouraging, I think. <laughs> uh, and so I wanted, at the end of the sermon, to like give people a particular, uh, Neil and Tim do this a lot, like a particular spiritual practice that they might try, it might work for them, it might not work for them, uh, to do this process that I've been trying to illustrate. And so what I've been doing for myself, it sounds a little hokey, but it worked um, to some extent, I think, is I've been trying to occasionally like meditate or ponder or call to mind this image of Christ in myself, um, especially in moments where I'm like afraid or scared or sad or angry, um, which works really well if your fear is abandonment because I guess theologically speaking, one would say like God or Christ can't really abandon you. Um, so that's worked for me. So I invite you to maybe try that, try thinking about like someone who loves you staying with you forever, Christ or whatever. Um, see what happens, I don't know. Uh, so ultimately what I think all of this might mean for us um, at the end of the day is we have a lot more power to change things in our lives that are hard for us than we might think. Um, and I also think it means we're gonna have to rethink about what success in this process is gonna look like. Um, Specifically, I don't think success is going to be measured by everything, just like being fine, um, being great. I don't think we should feel ashamed if we're like trying to do this and we're still sad or like people still die or um, you know, we're still struggling with self-image. I don't know, whatever it is. Like, I don't think that that's what success in this, project, in this process will look like. It's not just gonna be everything's fine. Um, what I do think it's going to look like is being better, better able to recognize when things are going wrong and they're just going wrong time and time again and being better able to hold it and with time more equipped to make changes in our courses of action so we don't just get so stuck there. Um, perhaps troublingly, actually, I think even the more that we do this process, the more that we bring Christ into ourselves, the more that we study the Bible, the more that we think about God, I'm pretty sure we're actually gonna see more brokenness. I think we might get more sensitive to the ways that we're broken, to the way that our political system is broken, to the way that our workplace is broken. Um, we're probably actually gonna get more sensitive to those things. But I think that there's some promise in seeing that brokenness as well. Um, because perhaps the better able, we're, the more that we're able to see the brokenness and not just turn away hoping that someone else will fix it because I, I don't think they will. Um, it's through our looking and through our looking in this community here, through our personal looking, through looking with our relationships and conversations um, that we're able to start to make some changes and hopefully be able to see that God somehow or another, as Jesus was saying to Jerusalem, had been there all along and we are really prone to missing it. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that we should try and get a little better at looking, looking at the pain, looking at the beauty and seeing it for what it is. Uh, final thing, so today, uh, after church, we're going to go out to brunch. You're all invited, but you don't have to come, but it would be wonderful. Uh, but we're gonna have our branches here for Palm Branch Sunday. And so I invite you, when you're doing your branch thing, to think about um, how you're like, the, you might be like the people in the crowd sometimes, and you want, you just wanna like praise someone who's gonna come in and fix things for you. And that's fine, I, I think that's part of life too. We are gonna do this together, but also 
to rethink about that story and think about it um, that maybe you're like branching yourself or something like you're praising the ways that you can do this or you're praising the communities I don't know um, but ponder these things in your life that are holding you back that are making you weep um, weep about it think about it and maybe you'll see ways that God was present is present will be present for you as you go on maybe it will help you see a new way forward it may not but I really think it's worth a try